0: Job 22, uh, we were reading a little earlier on, we've entitled the message, Peace with God. Peace with God. Let's unite our heart just in a short word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy presence, we thank Thee for Thy grace that finds us in the house of God this Sabbath evening. Lord, we're mindful that there's many of no care of soul, no concern about the things of God. And Lord, tonight finds them, Lord, stuck everywhere else. Maybe even from the old television box. But oh God, we can only say, There but for the grace of God go I. We're found in thy house tonight. And Lord, we praise thee that they have the word of God in our mother tongue. And God speaks through his word. And we pray that thou might come and speak by thy spirit tonight, even to each and every heart. I would encourage and bless thy saints. Thou might speak to those yet unsaved. Bring us into this passage. Bring us, Lord, to consider this text, and this great truth. Though God come and do our souls good, may there be signs following the preaching of thy word. Give us, Lord, those words from thyself tonight. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. he was one of those who had been referred to as Job's friends those who had enough compassion for him to leave their home and to make their way to him when they heard of his condition we see this in chapter 2 verse 11 now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came, everyone from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar so the Namanathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. Verse 13, so they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. And none spake a word unto him. For they saw that his grief was very great. Now we have to say that there's not many good things said about these men. And not rightly so. But here is something good. They had compassion enough to leave their places. And to come and to visit them and to sit with them. Even for those seven days and nights. We say that there's not much good said about them. Because while they came with good intention, they didn't really comfort their friend. Oh, they gave good counsel. But the mistake they made was that they made a wrong application of it. And on this occasion, Elipaz has come now a third time with his reasoning and with his exhortations. He brings a view of God which is both a mixture of truth and of error. After a series of questions at the start of the chapter, we can say tonight they all amount to suggesting that God is indifferent to Job and that He's indifferent to general mankind. Because He is all-sufficient, because there's nothing that we can do to benefit the Lord or to add to Him in any way, the suggestion is that He gains no pleasure from our holiness of life. He only gives attention when there is wickedness and when there is evil, and He then rebukes us by His wrath. The minimum women, part of that is right. Part of that is true. We cannot be of any profit to God. We cannot add to God because we are sinful flesh, because of our own weaknesses. But it is wholly wrong to suggest that God is not interested in our welfare. That we are left with a God who is so remote that we can have no personal relationship with Him. That is not how it is in the physical uh, relationships. And it certainly should not be the case in our spiritual relationship either. It's a wrong view of God. Because he is interested in his children. He is concerned about our welfare. So much so that he gave his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come down to this scene of time to be our Savior. Does that not give you the evidence that you need tonight? That God is concerned? That God has a concern about your welfare? What happens to his children matters. For he is described as a loving heavenly father who helps to bear our burdens, to calm our fears, and to guard us from our dangers. And God knew Job to be one of his children. Before I bring you to my text in this chapter, I want to underline that to you from the very first verse. Of Job chapter 1. It says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright. And one that feared God and eschewed evil. The word perfect by the way means complete. There was a completeness about Job. It gives a literal sense that he wasn't too faced. And God knew Job to be one of his children. What was Job's own confession and own testimony? You'll find that in Job 19 and the words of verse 25. He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold. And not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. I know that my Redeemer liveth. What a testimony. And he's speaking by the way of the second coming there. I wonder, can you say such words tonight? Have you such an assurance this evening as Job had? Does God know you to be one of His? Elopeus, while saying some disgraceful and hurtful things about Job, more or less suggesting that he was nothing more than a hypocrite, is found also to genuinely care about his spiritual welfare. And he wants them to be at peace with God. And that's why I direct you to my text in verse 21, words of Elipaz to Job. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. You notice know, this plea. Won't you to try and put yourself in the shoes of Elipaz? As we said, a man who obviously cared enough for his friend to come. And to meet him at the point of his need, believing that his soul wasn't right with God, that he was yet in a sin, he was been severely punished for it, then you begin to understand something of the reason why he speaks as he does. And so he comes to him with a gracious plea, as we find it in the opening part of our text. It is a plea that extends from a recognition, acquaint now thyself with him. You'll notice the margin. Acquaint thou thyself with God. Those words cause us to recognize that man of himself and of his own nature is not one who is acquainted with God. Romans chapter 8 and the words of verse 7. They teach us, that man is one who is against God I read because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be the flesh is one that is at war with God and against the Lord and against the things that are eternal and the true state of man as the scriptures declare it need to be recognized for today there are all sorts of false claims out there that man is not too bad if only his environment was better if only he had employment and given a better standing in socially, then he would be alright. Men and women, the Bible tells us the very opposite. There is none righteous, no not one. There is continual hostilities against the God who created all mankind. The very will, the very heart is against God. And man is not acquainted with God by nature, by birth, or by practice. And that has been ever so since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and were to fall in their transgression. For understand that before the great fall of man, there was that communion. There was his acquaintance with the Lord God. You consider how the Lord spoke to Adam in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The word dress means to work it. God spoke unto Adam. He gave him a job to do. And that is not spoken to all mankind. For tonight we're not all farmers. And we don't all tend gardens. But unto Adam God said, Thou art to dress it, thou art to work this garden. What is universal precept? What is a universal command? Is that we should work. If we don't work we shouldn't eat. That's what an ungodly government hasn't got they don't understand that. But 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10 reminds us of that. You're not working. You shouldn't eat. As if you can work, at that is. But Adam was given this work to do. And you recognize that he was an acquaintance with God. There was a communion the one with the other. There was a fellowship the creature with his creator. There was a harmony. But all of this was lost because of and due to sin. Thereby the sinner needs to recognize that no longer are they acquainted with God. And that was immediately seen after Adam disobeyed and rebelled against the Lord. It was the Lord who came in the cool of the day. And hearing His presence, hearing His voice, caused them what to do? To run to God? No, to hide themselves behind the trees of the garden. They're not afraid as a result of sin. For before there was an acquaintance and before there was that communion. And when they were banished from that garden, remember there was no longer an entrance for guilty and sinful mankind. Genesis 3.24 So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And that's how it has been and that's how it is for the to this very night. They're at a distance because of sin. There are words in Ephesians chapter 2 that remind us we are afar off. I wonder, dear soul, do you recognize this? You see, this, there is a plea in the words of my text that you would do so immediately. That you are not near God. That you need to acquaint yourself with Him. And you'll note that this plea exudes a requirement. Elipaz was desiring that Job would be brought into communion with God. His plea was that he would be acquainted with God. And so, dear soul, it is in the Gospel. And thank God we're not speaking of something that is impossible here. Oh yes, there are some verses and we might suggest they might, they might consider that to be the case they might suggest that is so. John, for example, in John 1 and 18, he speaks there that no man has seen God at any time. The Apostle Paul, he speaks of the immortal God who dwells in light which no man can approach unto. Our sin separates us between us and a holy God. But dear men and women, if we're ever to be in God's presence in eternity, then we need to be acquainted with God now on this earth. The man who refused the wedding garment, you remember him, he was not suddenly permitted to be in the king's presence when he came in to see his guests. Only they who had on the wedding garment, that wedding garment that was freely provided and freely given and offered to all who would come. But for that other man, he was told to depart into outer darkness. There is the requirement Acquaint now thyself with him. We need to be made nigh unto God. The gap needs to be bridged with sin has created. And bless God, that requirement for sinful mankind can be experienced all because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only mediator, the only one who stood in between. How can you be acquainted with God this evening? A sinner, a rebel, one whose very nature is enmity against God, who dwells in light inaccessible and full of glory, who is a pure eyes to behold evil. It's only through the Savior. It's only through the Savior who took upon Himself our nature, yet without sin was to die as the sinner's substitute. Tell me, are you acquainted with God tonight? You cannot... Use the vehicle of a church or a church attendance or a prelate or a priest to make you acquainted with God. We can't do that. It's only through Christ. The one who can bridge the gap. I wonder are you in fellowship with Him as a child to a father. You see, here is a heartfelt plea to your soul this evening. For this is what you, the sinner, requires... And needs to experience. And Elipaz thinking that Job was still in his sin. He makes this plea. Acquaint now thyself with him. But you know he goes on. Because you'll notice also the peace that he speaks about. One thing this world craves is peace. But the cry more often is what we read of in the book of Jeremiah. Peace, peace. When there is no peace. It's just phonies. And so shall be the state of things up until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. For that which the Savior was to speak of in Matthew 24 is the very opposite of peace. And the Scriptures there remind us that there will be wars and rumors of wars. And there will be nation rising against nation. And there will be the blight of famines, of pestilences, and of earthquakes in various places which will accentuate the reality that there is no peace. You see, there's no peace without Christ. There can be no peace without the Lord. What is true in the world scale is true of individuals tonight. The great yearning of many is that they might have peace. Peace to live. Having a conscience that is at rest. Peace when it comes to die and out into the great unknown. That's something the sinner does not have that sinner might be a Roman Catholic tonight but that sinner can be sitting in my church tonight as well and they don't have peace Isaiah chapter 57 verse 20 says this but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mare and dirt there is no peace saith my God to the wicked. You read the word wicked in the old testament, it's just the it's not a word for it. The ungodly. You're pictured there like a troubled sea. You ever go down to the sea when it's roaring? Seashore. And no rest. And God says there's no peace to the wicked. Despite Every blessing that they have. There's verses that tr- depict the true state of the sinner before God. And yet it is that which Elipaz speaks of here. When he issues the challenge to Job. Thinking him to be a sinner in need of God's forgiveness and pardon. Acquaint thyself with God and be at peace. If the unconverted soul is to be at peace with God, then they need to appreciate what the price of that peace was. Let me illustrate that to you. We go back in our minds uh, to that passage that considers Jacob. You remember how he had to go out from the home because of Esau and went to Laban's house and got his wives of course there and was to come back into the land and he was going to meet his brother. Genesis 32, it's a verse that tells us, the passage that shows us of that meeting. His brother Esau was angry with him. Now there's that peace been sought. You know there was the price. Verse twenty. It says and say ye moreover that is to his servants behold thy servant Jacob is behind us for he said I will appease him with the present that goeth before me and afterward I will see his face peradventure he will accept of me I will appease him and he was sought to appease him by the great lots that you read about in the previous verses 14 and 15 and he sent them on before and he said Jacob thy servant is behind them." there was a price for that peace and the desire of Jacob would be that he would see his brother's face again that he would be accepted of him Men and women, it's a lovely illustration of even how we can have peace with God. We are not at peace with God. We cannot uh, look into His face as it were tonight. We're not accepted of Him because of sin. But there's a price that has to be paid for that peace. Furthermore, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were to bring their offerings unto the high priest so that they could be presented to God as an appeasement for their sin. That That peace wasn't something that was cheap or insignificant. It cost the life of an innocent lamb. And so it is... With God's salvation, the coinage of our peace with God is not some present that we can offer. It is not some lamb or goat that we can bring. But it is a peace that has been obtained at the very highest price for for Ephesians chapter 2. And the words of verse 13 reminds us of what it cost so that guilty sons of Adam's race might be made nigh unto God. That verse simply says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It took nothing less than the precious atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ For consider that having peace with God meant the person of the Lord Jesus Christ giving himself as a once for all offering for sin. And how many scriptures there are that speak of the work that he came to do on that cross. Can I read you 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, it brings us to this very truth that we're looking at tonight. Verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. A lot of talk about reconciliation. Reconciliation is bringing two parties that were formally opposed together. And there it is in the spiritual. God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And like Elipas, we could say to Unite Sinner uh, tonight in the words of verse 20, be ye reconciled to God, be ye at peace with God. How can you be at peace with God? It's only through the bloodshed of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have it. In Colossians chapter 1, in the words of verse 20, Colossians 1 and 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, only through the blood shedding of the only Savior, whereby you can be reconciled to a holy God this evening. For Christ on that cross was to offer Himself as a sweet-smelling savor unto God. His sacrifice was Godward so that He might appease the wrath of a holy God for the sins of all who will come and all who will trust in Him for salvation. He paid the punishment for sin in His own body on the tree so that all who come might be reconciled might be drawn back to God from the dark paths of sin. You see, that's the position that the child of God has tonight. For Colossians 1 and goes on and verse 21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. The Apostle Paul could state state in Romans, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can only be reconciled to God through the person of God's dear Son. Let me ask you tonight, have you this peace? I'm not asking, have you peace with your neighbors? And that's good. Have you peace with God tonight? Are you a possessor of this blessing? Oh, the psalmist could say, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. True happiness is only to be found in being reconciled to God and being at peace with Him. Peace in the knowledge of sins forgiven. Peace in the assurance. It's well, preacher, with my soul. Knowing that you have a loving, sovereign, all-powerful, holy God who is in control of all things, whose promises are yea and they may in Christ Jesus. The covenant of grace he'll not go back on. For having saved you. And redeemed you with his precious blood. He will keep you. And his thoughts toward us. Are thoughts of peace and not of evil. And the peace that the repentant sinner possesses. Is able to keep our hearts and our minds. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear friend it is peace with God that you need tonight. And then you will know the peace of God. God. As you daily fellowship with Him through His Word. Peace with God. Then you have the peace of God. The Savior said, as He did to His disciples, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. I wonder will you receive it tonight by faith in the person of the Lord Jesus and through his work in Calvary's cross. You see, this is Eliphaz coming to Job, thinking he does not see you. Acquaint thou thyself with him. And Job, be at peace with him. Be at peace with God. But you'll notice also what he says about the promise. Because as he looked upon Job's condition and reasoned that he needed to make peace with God. He also gives a promise that we need and we find at the end of the verse. Acquaint thou thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Having a picture in your mind's eye of what Job must have looked like at this particular time. If you don't let me help you. Boils covering him from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. Where he sat there and he took a piece of an old rough potsherd to scrape himself. Sitting down among the ashes or some even commentators believe in the dunghill of the city. His wife calling upon him to curse God and die. His friends being no real comfort to him at all. And we might say that he wasn't one who was enjoying much good. That's only in terms of this world's thinking. But what Elipaz didn't know was that God had permitted the devil to touch his body and his health, but he couldn't take his life. He only permitted him to go so far and no further. And I remind each of us that the goodness of God is something that we all enjoy every day. When the psalmist knew the enemy against him, when he knew the pursuit of Saul even to take away his very life, he could yet say the goodness of God endureth continually. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The Lord is good to all. He causes the warmth of the sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. He gives the rain in its season to those who thank Him for it, to those who don't. There's the goodness of God to us in life and in material things, yes. But dear people, the good that Elipaz speaks about in our text it's not material, it's the good of spiritual. Acquaint thyself with God and be at peace and good shall come unto thee. The sinner is never the loser when they seek God's salvation. The Lord will not withhold any good thing, no good thing from them that fear him. The Lord will give grace for the trials of this earth and then, then glory are after. The good spoken of in this verse is eternal. It's never ending goodness of the Lord to his people. Oh dear loved one, dear soul, tonight without Christ, we might say like one of old, come thou with us and God will do thee good. Moses said that to his father-in-law. Will thou come now with us tonight and God will do thee good. The promise is that if you seek the Lord, if you acquaint yourself now with Him, then you will know the goodness of God upon thee. And that goodness we cannot fully describe. My words feel, every other preacher's words will feel, when we consider what it will be like in heaven itself. Imagine what it will be for the people of God redeemed with precious blood clothed in those garments white, basking in the eternal light of God for all eternity. What will it be to be led by Christ unto those fountains of water to dwell in that city whose builder and maker is God, to walk those stones of gold? And all for one like you and me, undeserving, unworthy, unlovely. The promise spoken of is that of the gift of God in salvation. And dear soul, you have heard his claims. You have received his word which can save your soul. You know you need to be at peace with God. If ever you're going to be in glory one day, you know that. You cannot have sat in this church for how long and not know that. And I simply say, like Elipaz did, go on to say in verse 22, Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth. Lay up thy words in thine heart. Faith, you see, cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. God has spoken. But what will you do with it? He goes on to speak about laying up gold as dust and the gulf of afar as the stones of the brook. Verse 24. You ever want to be on those golden streets of heaven? Then, man and woman, young person tonight, you need to acquaint yourself with God. You have to be at peace with Him. And the promise is, thereby good shall come unto thee. Yet I wonder are those under the sound of my voice and the words of Romans two and verse four are more true of you? Because the apostle writes, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God you've despised. Instead of causing your heart to melt and repent of your sin, it has got harder and harder. And the next verse states, that you are but treasuring up to yourself the wrath of God against you on that day of judgment. I would, dear loved one, that you despise the goodness and the promises of God no longer. But I exhort you as Elipaz did to Job, acquaint nigh thyself with him. Be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Don't please don't miss the second word of my text tonight. Now acquaint nigh. When is the time? When is the opportunity? To acquaint thyself with God, it's now. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, there's urgency about this. There's urgency about these promises. Now is the day of gospel promises are been issued. Why rob yourself any longer of God's promises and God's blessing in Christ? And the Lord has given you opportunity to be at peace with Him. May God help you to come and seek His face and to know that reconciliation through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord bless His Word to every heart tonight for His own namesake. 231, we're going to sing just in closing. A mourner in Zion, how blessed art thou, for Jesus is waiting to comfort thee now. Fear not to rely on the word of, the, of thy God. Step out on the promise. Get under the blood. 231, let's stand as we sing this hymn. Watch the words as we do so. Page 269. simply invite that you might come tonight, dear loved one, and step out in the promises of God and get under the blood. Acquaint now thyself with God and be at peace with Him. I gladly speak with you. But oh, settle this old account now. Seek the Lord. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for the simplicity of the gospel we thank thee for the invitation, the plea that is found that even in this little text. And we pray, Lord, tonight that men and women will no longer despise the goodness of God as able to lead them to repentance. But, Lord, that they might acquaint now them- themselves with thee, be at peace with thee. Thereby good shall come upon them. May they step out on the promise, get under the blood. Bless our further time of fellowship for those that are able to remain, bless the good things provided for bodily use. We thank thee for them. And we pray, Lord, later on each one that might be brought home safely. Abide with us. Do us good. We pray in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.